you know, the one thing that I think is important is porn literacy. And mm. unfortunately, in the current climate that we're in politically, you know, everything is so charged. And this is bad. This is good. The issue is, is that younger people have access to it. If you have a computer or you have any access to the internet or a phone, you have access to it. And we know that they're looking. We know they see it. Somebody passes around something at school. All of this goes on, right? Being realistic about it and saying, okay, some they're going to see it potentially. Why aren't we educating people about the fact that, hey, this stuff exists. What you need to know is, is that it's not all real. That's not how it all happens. Because now you have men who think that you know, they have to be able to perform a certain way. They need to stay hard for this period of time that people do in these movies. And their penises have to be a certain size. All of these things that then that make people not confident in their own sexuality and their own ability to perform sexually. I'm George Lizos, spiritual teacher, psychic killer, and number one best-selling author. Growing up in a small and Christian community, I was judged and rejected for being gay and different. After a futile two-year attempt to change who I was born to be, I called myself a human abomination and almost took my own life. Fortunately, in my darkest moment, I saw the light and ventured on a healing journey of love, forgiveness and spiritual awakening. Yet my dating life since hasn't always been all roses and rainbows, and my past dramas and traumas have definitely kept things spicy. Fast forward past many awkward dates and disappointing sex, I created Can't Host to challenge toxic gay stereotypes, explore the complex dynamics of gay sex and relationships, and create opportunities for healing and growth. If you're a gay guy seeking more joy, freedom, and authenticity in your sex life and relationships, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of Can't Host. I'm your host, George Lizos. And in today's episode, we're talking about coming out of the closet and coming of age. I'm talking with Josh Sabara. Let me read you a little bit about Josh and then I'm going to share what we're going to talk about in this episode. Josh Sabara is a two-time best-selling author a veteran marketing executive and television producer who has held positions at the Walt Disney Company, Warner Bros. Studios, Miramax Films, New Line Cinema, and A&E Networks. Having spearheaded campaigns for blockbusters such as The Notebook, The Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Wedding Crashers, The Sixth Sense, among many others, he has remained a sought-after voice across all platforms of entertainment. His first book, Porn Again, a memoir, continues to sell out internationally, and his debut novel, Enemies Closer, has had similar success. So in this episode, as you may have realized, we're talking about porn, but we're going beyond that. We're talking about how Josh used porn essentially to, to come of age, how he discovered his sexuality via porn. And then we dive deeper into the challenges of coming out because he came out when he was 31 years old. So what were the challenges that kept him in the closet for so long? And what are the challenges that we face as a community that prevent us from accepting our authentic self and coming out. We talk about how Josh dealt with bullying in both his childhood and adulthood years and how that contributed to him staying in the closet. We dive deeper into the topic of self-acceptance and how to learn to love and accept ourselves rather than seek external validation. 
We talk about the fears and limiting beliefs that sabotage our self-acceptance and coming out. And also how to consume porn mindfully. It's such a heartfelt episode. I love having coming out stories on the podcast because I feel there's so much power in hearing other people's stories because we can find common ground, we can find things we can relate to, we no longer feel alone, we feel we're part of this community that helps guide our own journey of self-acceptance and coming out as well. So whether you are considering coming out whether you have come out, I feel you'll find so much healing and acceptance of yourself and of others just by listening to this episode. When you're done listening, make sure to come on Instagram at George Lizos and let me know how you enjoyed it, what you learned from it, anything else you want to share. If you have any recommendations for future episodes, I'm all ears. I'm always happy to hear what people have to say so that I can create content that can help you on your own journey. Also, be sure to share this episode with people that you think will benefit from it. If you enjoy the podcast, make sure to rate it as this will allow the podcast to be discovered by more people. And without further ado, enjoy this episode with Josh Sabara. Hey, Josh, how are you? I'm well, thank you, George. How are you? I am well. Thank you so much for coming on to Can't Host. I'm so excited to chat about your book, Porn Again. And I want to start there. I love the title. It's such a fun title. It communicates a lot immediately from, from that like gay guys, bi guys, queer guys immediately get it. But I want to hear a little bit about what's the premise of the book and what was your intention with writing it? Well, first of all, the title is funny. It's like people's reactions to it are so different, you know, but the title really suggests, you know, I think people think they're getting one thing. I think they think that I've been a porn star or, you know, something along those lines. But as you know, the reason it's called that is entirely different. To some degree, adult entertainment shaped the way I saw my own sexuality. And even though porn gets a bum rap sometimes, for me, it was a lifeline because nobody takes you aside in school. No health class takes you aside. You know, they teach you about sex between two heterosexual partners, but nobody takes the mystery out of gay sex. And so for me, it was the only thing that I knew or saw or, or had any sort of access to. And there are a few seminal points in my life and in the book where porn plays into it, but not in the way people expect. So that was what was behind the title. In terms of telling my story at that time, I felt like I was coming into, I was starting the second half of my life. And I felt that I had all of these things that sort of got me to this point. And part of me wanted to reckon with it, you know, and, you know, more of an exercise in a snapshot, so to speak, a written snapshot of what I had lived up to that point. And as I was writing, and I saw some of the, the, the threads, I realized that many of my friends had gone through similar things, albeit some of them had different paths, but very similar or relatable circumstances. And so I felt that maybe my story could make somebody feel like it wasn't just them, 
do you know what I realized while listening to your book is how universal what you've been through is because here you are growing up in the US and here I'm growing up in a little tiny island in the Mediterranean and we're having mm. very similar experiences where we're growing up nobody's teaching us like sex ed and we're being taught in a very heteronormative way we don't mm -hmm. know what to expect of course we go to porn because nobody talks about sex and therefore we have to go somewhere to get the information and also it's fun it is fun, of course. <laughs> let's not let's not pretend it's just for educational. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yes. <laughs> of course we go for it like for that, but I mean personally in the beginning, like the, I still remember the first time I watched gay porn, I had no I was like I froze. I wrote about right. it in my first book Be the Guru. It was just a shock kind of experience because it was that coming of age of being like this pure innocent kid and then suddenly I see something in front of me that I've never been taught. I've never been told right. about, I didn't even know existed, living in a very like heteronormative, homophobic world. And then suddenly I see men having sex with each other. It was enjoyable, but at the same time, it was shocking. And that shock accompanied me throughout my early childhood. So I want to talk a little bit about your experience and how has your unique life experience growing up, as well as porn, shaped your sexuality in your teenage and early 20s? So my father is a urologist so there was never in our house growing up there was never shame attached to sex or anything related to sex many of my father's patients were gay we had friends who were around all the time like there was nothing negative attached to that in my house that said i would go to school or i would go to camp or whatever it was and i'd be bullied by other kids when you feel like you're being marginalized by other people or that they think that there's something shameful about you, you don't want other people in your life to feel similarly. So I worked overtime to make sure that my parents didn't know that the, I was being bullied or the things that were being said to me, because in the mind of a six-year-old, seven-year-old, eight-year-old, you don't look at it the same way, obviously, you do as an adult. And looking back, you know, I was able to see that, you know, of course, my parents would have been accepting, and they probably would have helped, you know, with the bullying and whatnot. But at that time, in my in my little brain, I thought that potentially the people who cared about me could change their thinking, and become like these people that I was dealing with at school and at camp, even though people are accepting you never know how close to home is too close to home. Like, is it okay when it's somebody else or in someone else's family, but when it's in your own family, are they going to react the same way? In hindsight, I didn't need to be fearful of that. But as a younger person, that's how my brain worked. Yeah, I had a similar experience because I came out to my mom when I was 17 and to my dad when I was 25. And that was because I heard my dad make a homophobic comment when I was 14. <laughs> and that mm -hmm. stuck to my mind until yeah. like for so many years. And you're right, you never know how your family will react to things because they may be accepting, they may be approving of gay people as long as they're not in the family. I have a question for you. Um, yeah, were, if you don't mind my asking, were your parents uh, married, or still married or at that time when you they came out to your mother? I was curious about how that would play out where one one member of the family knows and the other doesn't, which I'm sure happens frequently. Yeah. But, you know, that has to be hard on people also because, 
you know, if one parent feels that they can't tell the other, it just sort of reinforces the idea that it's something not good. It's interesting. It is. And of course, we suppress so much, especially when we're being bullied at school and we cannot express that to our parents and find the support we need. We suppress so much so much emotion within us. We don't process it because, as you said, we don't have the tools, the cognitive emotional tools to be able to process emotions at that young age. And then it escalates at some point in later on with shame, with tantrums, with different other kind of abuses. Speaking of mm -hmm. abuses... You have an interesting relationship with porn, like you were inspired mm. to use that, that in, your, in your title as well. Talk to us a little bit about your relationship with porn and how that shaped you. When did you start realizing that the relationship that you had with it started changing, essentially? I mean, it started with, you know, catalogs that would come in the mail that had men in underwear. Yeah. I think you'll hear from just about every gay guy over a certain age, <laughs> because that's what we had access to, you of know, course. when I did want to be able to to see more. There were magazines at the time. You weren't going on the internet looking for clips. If anything, you'd be renting a VHS tape from a, the back room of some video store, which arguably I didn't feel like I could do. First of all, I was under 18 when I first started to have interest. And second, what was I going to do? Bring it home to at the family VCR? No. The best I could do was sneak a Playgirl magazine or find magazines that were geared towards heterosexual men like Hustler, which would have man-woman pictorials. Yes. And I could just focus on the guy. You know, I would fold the page so I just saw the guy. That was sort of... So when we say porn, at that point, I hadn't even seen anything hardcore like that. But as I evolved and I was then an adult living on my own and porn was on DVD and I, I really didn't have to sneak it the same way. So I could see it and sort of find out what interested me. There's a plus and a minus to everything, right? You know, the one thing that I think is important is porn literacy. And mm. unfortunately, in the current climate that we're in politically, you know, everything is so charged and this is bad. This is good. The issue is, is that younger people have access to it. If you have a computer or you have any access to the internet or a phone, you have access to it. And we know that they're looking. We know they see it. Somebody passes around something at school. All of this goes on, right? Being realistic about it, and saying, okay, some they're going to see it potentially. Why aren't we educating people about the fact that, hey, this stuff exists. What you need to know is, is that it's not all real. That's not how it all happens. Because now you have younger girls or younger women who think they need to be performing a certain way for men, or that they need to enjoy all of these things that they're seeing, or men who think that you know, they have to be able to perform a certain way. They need to stay hard for this period of time that people do in these movies. And their penises have to be a certain size. All of these things that then that make people not confident in their own sexuality and their own ability to perform sexually. So to me, we know they're going to get it. So why are we not at least letting people know that, yes, this is a, a sexual outlet, it's a form of adult entertainment, but it's not necessarily applicable to every sexual scenario you're, you might find yourself in. So 
I, I think we do a disservice to people by not doing that. And I know there's a lot of been a lot of discussion. I remember Billie Eilish, I believe, had made a comment about pornography and that it's dangerous. And she was seeing it from the time she was, you know, I think a young teenager. And to me, that's not an indictment of adult entertainment. That's an indictment of a family situation that wasn't watching closely enough. You know what I mean? You can't blame the porn. She, it's not made for people who are 13 or 14. She is not the intended audience for that. And to me, that's your guardian or parent's responsibility. So blaming the porn is really, to me, not the issue. It's an important one because I believe there has to be education and there has to be education from the parents as well. Instead of the parents saying, don't do that, saying, well, I would advise you not to do that. But in case you do, here's what you need to know about porn. We, I had Davey Wavy on, on the podcast mm -hmm. and we talked about porn because he has a, has a porn website right now. And it's, like, it's more ethical porn. It's educational porn. They communicate pornography yeah. in a different way so that it's not just performative and goal-oriented but they hire sex therapists and, and therapists to like create fantasies that are healthier i suppose but at the same time entertaining but who's to say what's healthy and what isn't i mean yes you know there are times that people want that kind of material and there are times that people want to see something that they might not do in their own life that seems wild to us but yeah. that is a safe alternative to actually engaging in that behavior. And so some people I think just want that, you know, fantasy to get them off. And some people I think like the more, you know, I think there's a lid for every pot. I don't really look at anything that's between two consenting adults over legal age that is unethical if both parties want to be there and are consenting to it. That's the foundational principle for sex is like having consent and whatever it is that you want to express in your fantasy as a king, as a fetish, go for it. And I like the point that you make about porn and how we can express ourselves in fantasy by watching something versus like just watching something that's very quote unquote healthy because it's a very subjective term. Now, talking about porn, I'm just thinking right now because in your book, you mentioned that you came out when you were 31. What were the challenges to you coming out later on? It had been drilled into me from such an early age that whatever this was, this, you know, when I was younger, you know, we're not sexualized. We don't really know what that, what that means, that feeling. When I got older, it was the same thing. Like I worried about, because I'm very close to my family, I worried about the possibility of that bond changing in some way or you know if it would you know that 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 was really my my thing was like would would it be accepted and were you accepted when you finally came out yes i don't think any single person was surprised which is funny because it's not that i thought you know i i talk in the book about people i called what i call wild cards and they were people so there are friends or people around you who can either can sense that it's not a subject that you're willing to approach dating those kinds of things you know people ask you oh are you seeing anybody you know wanting to to know what's going on in your life and then there are people who come out and ask you you know anything or whatever so the people who were safe 
were the ones who would never push me on it, who could sense that there wasn't a level of comfort. Anyone else was what I would call a wild card, which means I could be with them or around them. And there was potential for me to have to deal with or face something that I wasn't ready to do. And so I would push those people away. Yes. The interesting part of all that is that when I did finally come out, my relationships with the people I was close to became even closer because now there wasn't that elephant in the room. There wasn't that piece of my life that is so personal but was off limits. Yes. And those are the people that were truly there for us from the beginning because they trusted, they were empathic enough to understand what the comfort level was. And therefore, that relationship strengthened after all. Makes sense. Now, you started working early on and you started working in Hollywood. You, you did so much in publicity. How have your experiences working in Hollywood shaped your coming out experience? And did they pose any challenges that other people may not have? Hollywood is traditionally a place where you can really be whatever you want and be accepted, particularly, you know, when you're dealing not to be not not to perpetuate stereotypes. But you know, when you're working in a creative industry, people tend to be very open to things, right. But there were things that happened that really still kept me from being my true self. In the book, I talk about a couple of instances, one where I was at an award show, I was sitting next to a producer. And during a commercial break, I, you know, I felt a hand on my leg. And then, you know, he whispered into my ear, like, have you ever been tied up before? Now, what? And on what planet (laughs) does that happen? I mean, but I didn't tell anybody. And then I had to make an excuse for why I was leaving, which put me in an awkward spot. You know, I didn't tell anybody because again, if I told them, then are they going to ask questions about me? And so there was still that shame attached to it. Like, what was it about me that he felt it was okay to do that? Ah. You know what I mean? So that just then, you know, pushes me, pushed me further and further. Like any steps I had made towards living, you know, my more, I hate using the word authentic because it's so overused. (laughs) Being myself, whatever steps forward I had made, that sort of pushed me back a little bit. Today, with the Me Too movement and all of that kind of thing, I think people are more cognizant of those situations and not putting somebody in them. But at that time, it was a little bit more of the Wild West. Yeah, so when when he did that to you, your first thought was, what's wrong with me rather than what's wrong with him? trying to do something like that. And obviously he had sent something about me that I hadn't told anybody about myself. Yeah. It sounds like a small thing in a way, but it was kind of monumental to me. Yeah, because when when you're in the closet and you think you're living in your own private world and then someone crushes that that wall and and in that way, you feel exposed because you're losing control. and And also like that environment, like... We're at a professional thing. Yeah. And somebody, I mean, it just, I don't know what would possess somebody to do that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know what would possess somebody to do that, but I know the word trauma is relative, but it, that was a pretty traumatic thing for me. Yeah, of course. Piling up from the traumatic experiences that you had in your childhood, it all escalates. And even though something happened in the past, it controls the present and the future if it's not unhealed. So, 
Right. Makes sense. What are like the most valuable lessons that you feel you've learned from your encounters with celebrities, whether whether negative or positive? Because you were in a very unique situation, like living mm -hmm. this life in Hollywood that many people don't have. So what mm -hmm. have you learned through this experience around your sexuality? Um, I think at the time, because I never felt good enough, I think that the celebrity connections and the celebrity friendships filled a void for whatever reason they made me feel special or important because people who the rest of the world thinks are interesting and exciting think you're interesting or exciting. You know, I was very young when I started in the business. I think I learned that those relationships or my friendships, that's not me. And that I wanted, what I was really looking for was for people to take an interest in me or care about me or love me for who I am, not for what my life is. Again, when we evolve, you know, and as a younger person, I think I needed things that made, because I didn't feel like I was appealing to anyone in any other way, I felt like I needed to do all of these things to get people to think I was worthwhile. So it mm. was plastic surgery to make myself look what I thought was the best I could look. And celebrity friends and being so career focused that I moved up so quickly that people couldn't not pay attention to the fact that I was, you know, a senior vice president at 27, like things like that. But those things weren't really me. It's like when you ask somebody, tell me about yourself or tell, oh, t tell me about you. It's interesting to hear how people begin to answer because quite often you'll hear people say, well, I'm a doctor. The job defines who they are. It's interesting to hear if people say, well, I'm a dad. You know, that's a whole different thing about how somebody sees themselves. I'm a husband. I'm a whatever. But how people start telling you is basically what they think is what makes them who they are. And I found that for gay, for many gay people, I don't want to generalize, because we've been judged our entire lives, because we have so much shame, because society tells us that there's something wrong with us, we try to overcompensate to make up for a lack of self-acceptance. And we try mm -hmm. to be accepted by other things. I can relate to this myself. I'm doing my fifth degree right now. <laughs> and I've realized wow. this year that For, I, I've done many of the, my past degrees just to get the tick from society that I'm worthy. And I was right. trying to buy my worthiness from my parents, from other people, just so that they wouldn't see me as less than, because that's how I was made to feel being gay. You've armed yourself. I've armed myself to feel like yeah. I'm enough, yeah. rather than realizing that I'm enough just because I am. And right. I, I find this with many of my gay friends each person in their own different way. And they don't all express it the same way, but I feel like you and I have, <laughs> certainly. Sounds that way for sure. And I want to end with your vision for gay people who are coming out or who are going through struggles and are dealing with past shame and, 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 and traumas. What is your vision for this book and how do you intend that the book helps? The book is just unapologetically my story, my journey to a degree of self-acceptance. You know, I'm very careful to say, like, I don't have it figured out. There's not a perfect bow at the end of the book. Like, I think we're all a work in progress. Yeah. Um, I still struggle with many of the things I talked about in the book. I'm better able to manage them. I come at them with a different perspective now, but 
I don't think it entirely goes away. So my hope is that people who feel different or other in any way, because really, if you took the gay out of the book and substituted it with anything that makes anyone feel like an outsider, they would be able to find themselves in those pages. My hope is that, you know, if somebody doesn't feel alone, or they see that somebody else has been through the same thing, and that there's comfort in knowing that you're not on an island by yourself, then it's done its job. When you say like the goal and and my message to the LGBT community or people who are ready to come out is just to accept as much support as you can or find support from people. If you are lucky enough to have access to therapy or take advantage of support groups or LGBT centers, things like that, people who are losing weight or dieting, they've always said that having a tribe of people or having people who are you're accountable to or who are looking out for you and you kind of do it together is more motivating and makes you feel safer because all of the these things are very vulnerable circumstances, right? They're all very personal. So I think having people and having the support of other people is probably the, one of the most important things. And I feel that your book and you sharing your story provides that support because books and stories are powerful. Being heard and feeling that you're being heard when you're hearing someone else's story, talk about something that you're going through is very healing uh, by itself. It's it's beautiful to find common ground and just feel like we're not alone in this. I get so many messages from people listening to the podcast saying, oh my God, I thought it was just me. I thought it was all in my head, but then I heard your story and I feel seen. And I think the fact that you so honestly put your story out there does so much for the LGBTQ community alone. So thank you so much, Josh. Can you please let people where they can get in touch with you and where they can get the book? The book's available wherever books are sold. Barnes & Noble, Amazon, any any place you get books. And it's also available as an audiobook. And finding me, the whole X thing, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> Twitter, uh, yeah. <laughs> Twitter is at Josh Sabera and Instagram is at Josh Sabera. You're much more likely to find me present on Instagram than anywhere else. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast, George. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, George. It's great talking to you. Thank you for tuning in. If you have any insights or a story to share, message me on Instagram at George Lizos and tell me all about it. I would love to hear from you.